And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. And thus far, the reading of God's word and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've been benefiting greatly in this study as I'm reading God's word, thinking through these issues, and also have benefited from three particular books that I wanted to mention in case you want to pick them up. Um, Twelve Steps of Recovering Pharisee, Finding Grace to Live Unmasked by John Fisher. Another book, Extreme Righteousness, Seeing Ourselves in the Pharisees by Tom Hovestall. And then Self-Righteousness, Our Greatest Danger by Charles Knippel. This morning, I want us to look at two texts briefly. Um, I, I thought about how Jesus and others, but particularly how Jesus would address a crowd. He would look at a crowd of people. He would perceive a particular need. And whether he was speaking to Pharisees or just a crowd of people that showed up or those who were sick and needy, and he would tell stories sometimes, uh, parables. He would uh, illustrate something. And oftentimes when he got through, I don't know about you, sometimes when I read a parable, I'm, I'm scratching my head sometimes more than I'm understanding it right away. And so I have to think about it. And that's part of what he was doing. He wants us to think. He wants us to find ourselves in these stories, and they're very practical and very applicable to us. And so we're going to look at a couple of those today. The first one we just read from John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41, and then in a few minutes we'll read from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Don't we all love to selectively, selectively compare ourselves to others? Now, we don't necessarily do a wholesale comparison because we might come up short, but we like to pick out particular things to compare ourselves to others over. We think that we can clearly see their faults and understand their motives and evaluate their objectives. We know why they did that or why they said that, or we think we do. The Brazilian novelist Paulo Colo writes this. He said, a young couple moved into a neighborhood. The next morning while they were eating breakfast, the young woman saw her neighbor's, uh, neighbor hanging her wash outside on the line. She said, that laundry is not very clean. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs a different laundry soap. Her husband looked on, remaining silent. Every time her neighbor hung her washing out to dry, the young woman made similar comments. A month later, the woman was surprised to see nice, clean wash hanging on the line and said to her husband, Look, she's finally learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her how to do this. And her husband replied, I got up early this morning and cleaned the windows. <laughs> We, too, have dirty filters 
through which we look at others. We are far more charitable with ourselves than others. I remember Bertrand Russell captured it once when he said, he gave this conjugation, it was in a logic class and it stuck with me. He says, I am firm, you are obstinate, he is a pig-headed fool. And so we are, again, tend to be charitable to ourselves. In a, in a Bob Dylan song titled Positively Fourth Street, he wrote these words, I wish that for just one time you could stand inside my shoes and just for that one moment I could be you. Yes, I wish that for just one time you could stand in my shoes, you would know what a drag it is to see you. Ouch. Well, in our text, Jesus has just healed a blind man, and he turns and he says to the watching Pharisees, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Are you talking about us? Are we blind? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So if the Pharisees could have seen themselves the way Jesus saw them, as blind leaders of the blind, as in another text he says fools, they would have come to Christ and been given sight. However, they refused to acknowledge their blindness, and instead they claimed that they could see just fine. Thank you. Proverbs 12:15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Who do you have in your life that has enough love and courage to tell you the truth about yourself? Who have you invited into your life to point out to you your blind spots? Anybody have a blind spot? Where is it? You don't know, do you? Can you see other people's blind spots? Don't you wish they would invite you to point them out to them? Well, Jesus wasn't welcomed by the Pharisees to do so. And frankly, Jesus isn't welcomed by very many people to do that. I trust, I trust that you look into a mirror at least once a day. I hope you did this morning. It seems that you did. This reminds me, though, just as an aside, Rick Bragg, who I like to read, said about his grandmother. She said, uh, he's, getting old ain't easy, she told me as she passed 79. But it's best not to try to fight it too much. You know, you know how I live with being old. I just don't look in the mirror except to part my hair. Well, I assume that you look into the mirror, at least look into the mirror to part your hair. But have you ever stood in front of a three-way mirror? I had a friend who used to say that he's had ticks in places that required three mirrors to discover. You ever been in one of those three-way mirrors? You ever been a little bit shocked, a little surprised at the angle that you're not used to looking at? Maybe a little 
unnerved. Maybe it wasn't quite so flattering. Um, It can be rather shocking. Well, you see, we need others to help us see what we can't see in ourselves. And so, here's another point. We, We need each other here. But we have another problem, and that is, as a group, we can be collectively blind. That was a problem with the Pharisees. We can share prejudices and project and protect one another's weaknesses and sins. So you can sit here and be the judge of everybody. Well, they don't do enough of this or enough of that, and you know we need to be doing more or less or doing it different. It's easy to be a critic and easy to be a judge, but it's also easy on the other side for us to all get together and congratulate one another and not deal with one another's shortcomings and sins. Let's just kind of have an unspoken truce. We won't talk about it. I won't talk about your problems. You don't talk about mine. We'll protect each other. And we as a church have blind spots as well. All right, now I want to back up, though, and consider how we look at others first. So we should put ourselves in the place of others in order to get some perspective. The old saying, you should walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And I apologize, I couldn't resist. I love this old statement, before you judge someone, walk a mile in their shoes, and then when you do, you'll be a mile away and you'll have their shoes. Um, but... Um, seriously, we need to learn to look at people's situations from their point of view. We need to have empathy, which is a great restraint for our tendency to judge other people. At least we might better understand why they do what they do. There are an endless number of examples of what people have been through that perhaps I haven't, and some kind of a trauma, guilt, Sickness, abuse, neglect, divorce, poverty, all kinds of things. You ever met somebody and you kind of, maybe maybe you didn't like them that much, and then you finally got to know them and you heard their story, and perhaps you said, wow, that person's amazing. I don't know how they've made it this far. I don't know how they've turned out so well. This is remarkable. And so the Pharisees and those of us who imitate the Pharisees pretend that we have it all together. I don't have problems. I've got all this under control. I don't have failure or pain or dissatisfaction or guilt. And so for the Pharisees, and for me, and maybe for you, it's really about my public image. I want to make sure everybody thinks well of me. That's the most important thing, right? And so, we never open up about our failures. Pharisees always have an added, always have an attainable solution that works just fine for them, and they have little patience for anyone else with whom these solutions are not working. They can real, they can't really emphasize empathize with anyone. Because they haven't even embraced their own problems. Again, they know that theologically, they have to admit, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner too, but that's about as far as they go. A real test, though, is whether or not you can empathize 
with someone you don't even like. This would indicate that you've dealt with your own struggles and can therefore understand how others can be trapped by their difficulties, even if they're outside our own experience. Now, our second text is from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, where Jesus said this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a, for a denarius a day, he sent, he sent them into the vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also uh, go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others still standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those uh, came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive much more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first will be last. For many are called and few are chosen. Again, the parable was told with the Pharisees in mind. They would have clearly seen themselves as those first workers in the story since they had been working all their lives to earn their reward. They were, after all, like most of us, good, hard-working, honorable people. They prided themselves in their heritage and their foundation uh, and their foundation in Moses, the law and the prophets or the Bible. They showed up early, they stayed late. The latter workers were the poor, the lame, the uneducated, the sinners. These were the riffraff of society. We would definitely want to do background checks on these guys. Pharisees don't like being placed on the same level with everyone else. Now in this parable, God commits a really great offense by being overly generous which carries some serious implications. Remember last week that I said when it came to a comparison, remember we dealt with the Pharisee and the publican in the temple praying, that when it came to a comparison between the Pharisee and the tax collector and you and me, I said there is not a dime's worth of difference. God begins his work by leveling the field. 
You are not up here and those people down there. You don't get to sit in first class while everybody else rides in coach. Sin takes us all down to the ground level, which is where grace comes in. If your whole system, like that of the Pharisees, is built on placing some people ahead of others, then the grace of God is an unwelcomed intruder because God is no respecter of persons. His grace flows to everyone who repents of their sins and turns to Christ. That person, no matter how bad they've been, and regardless of how hard you've been working, will receive a full measure of God's grace. Grace is not fair. And we should be thankful that it's not. John Fisher paints this picture. Imagine a couple of workers who got paid a full day's wages for an hour's worth of work talking to one another and saying, do you think the boss made a mistake? The other guy says, shut up. I don't want to know. No, this wasn't something wrong, take, wrongly taken, but rather freely offered. When you've gotten more than you deserve, you don't want to talk about what you deserve anymore, right? You know that if you got what you deserved, it'd be far less than this. And this is how God's grace works. People who have received it don't care anymore about measurements because they know how it would turn out if they started counting. Moreover, they don't really care what amount anybody else gets either. Take, it, uh, take what is yours and go your way, Jesus said to the Pharisees. This is what Jesus was talking about in Luke 8.18 when he said, For whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. The person who has is the person who has received freely from God. The person who thinks he has is the person who has worked for his spiritual status. He has gotten what is rightfully his and what he thinks he deserves. You see, to believe in and to follow Jesus means that you're going to have to give up your connection between work and pay. The whole pharisaical system has to be taken down to the ground for yourself and for your family. There are many who have a high standing in the eyes of men because that's where they have placed their hope and their emphasis, but who are at the same time falling short of the grace of God. Jesus was often reminding the Pharisees that they already had their reward. Pharisees end up getting exactly what they deserve. They're always measuring themselves and everybody around them. But the recipients of God's free grace have given up on all that and are simply thankful to God for what he's given them. Jesus bypassed the extraneous rules of the Pharisees and, and went directly to the most unlikely group of people. See if you find yourself in this list. 1 Corinthians 1. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. Some of you here are pretty smart. 
Some of you are real smart. Some of you are proud of being smart. But not many, there are not many of you like that, according to what Jesus said. Not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his sight. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Think about who Jesus reached. There were a few Pharisees, but most were fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and Roman soldiers, housewives and children, the blind, the lame, the crazy. This bunch of people got a full day's wages, undeserved. It's not fair. It's grace. No wonder some of the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. If Jesus was right, then the Pharisees were wrong, and there was nothing for a Pharisee to do. God distributes his mercy and grace however he wants to, and I don't have a say in who gets it and who doesn't. I do get to get happy about it. I get to rejoice without judgment. So if you want to measure something, get out your measuring cup. If I were you, I would start with that. I've got an eight cup measuring bowl at the house. And get started trying to measure the immeasurable grace of God. Call me when you're finished. Now, one last point this morning. Worship. <clears throat> Worship is a leveler. We all bow before God. We all touch the ground and look up to Him. And from that low position, we declare His worth. That's what worship is. We are overshadowed by His greatness. Like John the Baptist, we say, He must increase and I must decrease. Just listen again to this passage, which describes every last one of us. Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, there it is again, for by grace you have been saved. 
and that not of yourselves. Excuse me. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. Why? So that no one can brag. There's nothing for us to boast about. I didn't do anything. My contribution was my sin. And he took care of that. He zeroed it out. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because you have been the recipient of this ill-deserved favor of God, and he has lavished you with his grace and kindness, therefore you have been restored to your chief end, which is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We find our right place by putting God in his right place. Now, of course, God is always in his right place. But in worshiping him, we acknowledge where he belongs. We start the first day of each week. We get out of our beds. We carry ourselves up here. And we get together, all on the same level, remembering who we are and who he is to start another week. We, when we stand in his presence, we are made acutely aware of our own unworthiness. And the more we see his grace, the more we see his worth. And so I ask you and me to come down off of your high horse. To step down from our spiritual pedestals and give up the constant attempt to establish our value in comparison to other people. Again, before God, there is not a dime's worth of difference between you and the worst person you ever met. Look to the Almighty, perfectly holy God, and compare yourself to Him. And when you do, and when you see Him, then you're going to say something like Job said. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. And like Isaiah, the prophet who wrote this, when he saw the vision of the Lord, he said, In the year of King Uzziah, when that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, and each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, as we sang this morning, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, And the house was filled with smoke, and so I said, and here's Isaiah's words, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Compare yourself to Christ.
Then look at those guys who are walking away with a full day's pay for an hour's worth of work. Do they care what anybody else got paid? Do they want to peek at someone else's paycheck? Are they worried about fairness? If you've been given mercy, then you don't care who else gets mercy. In fact, you hope everybody gets mercy. But if you think you've earned it, then you care deeply about what everybody else is getting paid. I hope you're not counting on anything but God's grace and mercy to make you acceptable to Him. Let's pray. Father, we confess that there is no light in us, for we are full of darkness. We, like the Pharisees, are often blind to ourselves. We think we see others clearly and we sit in judgment of them. We complain of injustice and often hold a double standard for ourselves. Open our eyes that we might see ourselves as you see us, so that we might surrender to your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 11:25-30 At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and one and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus has an invitation for you and me. First, he says that we can't see him unless he wills to reveal himself to us. So we are utterly dependent upon him. He then calls those who are burdened or heavy laden. There is no place for the proud or the self-sufficient. I've got this. I can handle this. If that's you, no need to apply. But if you feel overwhelmed and burdened, he says, come to me. If you want to do it yourself, if you want to do it your, on your terms, then have at it. Perhaps you just need a few more miles of lugging that burden. Perhaps it just hadn't gotten heavy enough yet. But if you're ready to stop looking at what everyone else is doing wrong and will cast your cares upon him, he will be happy to carry it for you, to relieve that burden. You can stop comparing yourself to everyone else and simply receive his free grace and his mercy. O oh Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And so I ask, have you taken his yoke upon yourself? Have you learned from him? He won't crush you, for he is gentle and lowly of heart, and his burden is light. In him, and in him alone, do we find rest for our souls. I want to mention we have some of our college students who have finished the semester will be leaving us, I think, after today to go home for the summer. Uh, Bethany and Hannah, I presume, are heading back home. And 
Alina is heading to Florida and maybe others, so we're going to ask God's blessings on you uh, as you go to other places. Don't forget that wherever you are, and it's true for all of us, you represent Christ. Father, we thank you for this congregation. We thank you for our friends and guests who've gathered with us today to worship. We thank you for song and prayer, for confession, and for forgiveness. We thank you for communion. We do pray your blessing upon those that are part of us who will be departing for a while, for a season, to go home. We pray your blessings on them through the summer, that you will keep them safe. Use them. Keep them faithful. Keep us all faithful. Teach us, Lord, to know that grace precedes, accompanies, and follows our salvation, and that it sustains us. From Calvary's cross, wave upon wave of grace reaches us, and it deals with our sin and washes us clean and renews our hearts and strengthens our will and draws out our affection and kindles a flame in our souls and rules throughout our inner man. It consecrates our every thought, word, and work and teaches us to know your immeasurable love. How great are our privileges in Christ Jesus. Without him, we stand far off as strangers and outcasts. In him, we draw near and touch his kindly scepter. Without him, we dare not lift up our guilty eyes. In him, we gaze upon our Father, God and friend. Without him, we hide our lips in trembling shame. In him, we open our mouths in petition and praise. Without him, darkness spreads its horrors before us. In him, an eternity of glory is our boundless horizon. And without him, all within us is terror and dismay. In him, every accusation is changed into joy and peace. Without him, all things external call for our condemnation. In him, they minister to our comfort and are to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Praise be to you for grace and for the unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ. Bless now our Lord's Day rest, fellowship, and feast. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Amen.